Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the All 22 Podcast. You got Chris and Ray. We're back again. And uh, Ray, everybody's seasons are over in fantasy, right? Uh, congratulations to everybody that won an All 22 Championship. You are the elite of the elite. There is nobody better at fantasy football than you. So congratulations. Yeah, it's it's that that is the pinnacle. All right, an All 22 Championship is the pinnacle of fantasy sports. Uh, and it's really cool. We got some, you know, some cool messages and DMs too, uh, of, of people's matchups and final scores and their record and, and their team. And some of us have shown, you know, there's some people who won championships with like 16 players on their injured reserve and like 14 of them were projected starters at the start of the year. So some really masterful jobs, uh, from our all 22 GMs out there. Uh, so hats off, uh, to you guys, everybody who won a championship, and like we always say, now the fun starts, right? The off season is where the fun begins, right? So for now, for the next couple of weeks, enjoy, you know, the, the, the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl. And then when the off season really gets started post Super Bowl, um, again, that's, that's where the fun and the magic happens, right? And we have some really cool stuff on the way for you too coming up here over the next several weeks or so that, um, you know, you just have to stay tuned for, for some cool announcements there, but, um, yeah, congrats. And stay tuned. Big announcements. I just want to emphasize they are big announcements coming. So definitely stay tuned. Before we jump into the content of the day, I did want to talk about something we spoke about a few weeks ago, right? We talked about how the current play, the current quarterback play in the NFL is kind of subpar compared to what it's been the past few years. And we think a reason that that could be is because of the age of the NFL quarterbacks has come down like two or three years over the past few years. Like we lost big Ben, Eli uh, Rogers is hurt this year. Tom Brady, Peyton, Drew Brees, like all of these, like Philip rivers, these vets, these almost hall of fame players, most of them, right. Are now out of the league. And the replacements for those are these younger players. We talked about this, right. We talked about why this is happening. And what we said at the time is if Andy Dalton was the starter for a team that, for example, might be starting Desmond Ritter, maybe Atlanta, just putting it out there. <laughs> like he would raise the floor of a lot of teams. And at the time we used Andy Dalton as the example, but I think we're verified, we're justified in what we said because just replace Andy Dalton with Joe Flacco, right? Joe Flacco comes off his couch and he's like 40 years old and he comes in and he's raised the floor of this Cleveland offense. Yes, Deshaun Watson is a veteran quarterback, so maybe that's not the best example. But what we were saying is, like, a lot of teams are just kind of going to these younger guys thinking that, you know, the future is always the answer, right? We have to find the quarterback of the future. But there are these guys that are just, you know, veteran quarterbacks that know football, know football a lot better, right, can call plays out for their offensive line and see blitzes coming and make that stuff happen pre-snap that it does raise the floor of your team. And I think it's a perfect example of what Joe Flacco is doing in Cleveland. 
Yeah, and and the and the key word there and the name of the game is efficiency, right? Those veteran quarterbacks, because of how they set up and run the offense or manage the offense, right? People always uh, hear the term game manager and think of that as a negative when you actually do have to manage the game, and that's what these veteran quarterbacks do. So yes, when you go younger, I get it. You're, the goal is to win a championship, right? And there are lots of vets who can manage a game that just are not championship caliber quarterbacks. So as an organization, philosophically, I get why that is not your preference and that's not what you're chasing. But when it just comes to strictly just viewing the the offensive performance and some of the the, the holes or deficiencies that we've seen league-wide, like when we talked about the red zone uh, scoring and the red zone efficiency being historically down, right? A lot of that has to do with, again, just not being as efficient in those tight quarters because you're not managing the game as well as you would with a veteran quarterback with some of these younger guys. So, um, yeah. Again, you know, the the whole Deshaun Watson injury, uh, he was, you know, the, the Browns were kind of finding their footing before he was was lost for the season. So he gets a lot of flack, and obviously he has not shown to be the quarterback that he was during his prime days in Houston. But there was some progress being made there, and so it is possible that, again, the, the, the loss of Watson and, you know, Flacco getting extended time eventually catches up to Cleveland, right? We're not saying that's not going to happen, but what we are saying, again, is that you see see again a Joe Flacco come in and take over and like you said raise the floor allows the offense and the team as a whole to still stay on schedule and not just blow the whole thing up like you saw in New York with the Jets once Rodgers went down and they just kind of stuck you know headstrong with Zach Wilson and the young guy and you saw how that worked out and they've really wasted a fantastic defense over there. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's some vindication for for the old guys, right? Even if that doesn't mean you're going to change your philosophy as an organization when it comes to chasing a young franchise quarterback, may lend some credence to the idea of having those vets in your building and you know available for emergency situations if they do have to take the field. Watson gets a lot of flack. The Browns get a lot of flacco. How about that? Yeah. Put it on a poster, baby. That's that's all right. If we didn't lose 60% of our audience now, then we can get to the next topic. So <laughs> no. So it's the reason I also wanted to talk about that, right? Is because we were talking about these young QB prospects that are going to be coming into the league. And part of the reason why I've been so hesitant to just say every team should get one, right? We talked about Atlanta. We talked about the Patriots. We talked about um, a few other teams. And I'm always like, a little hesitant to just be like, yeah, give him Jaden Daniels. Yeah, give him Michael Penix. Because if it's not the right situation, these guys will fail, right? And that's what we're seeing, right? And then it's like you could insert Joe Flacco and you might actually be in a better situation. So that's why I just want to like pump the brakes a little bit and say, you know, it goes a little bit to what we're saying where a team needs to be in a position to get one of these guys because that's really what they need to be successful, right? Like none of the prospects are can't miss guys. Every single one of them can fail. Caleb Williams can fail. Drake May can fail. Any of them can fail. It takes the right situation. It takes the right person. It takes the right connection and the right personalities to create a good situation for these rookie quarterbacks. Today, let's talk about Michael Penix. Okay. So as always, the first thing I talk about is first impression. To me, he looked a lot bigger physically than I kind of expected. And and actually, he may actually be, right? I think like his uh, numbers say that he's like 210, 215 pounds, but he looks big. Like he looks like a bigger guy. Um, 
ironically, he kind of has a Deshaun Watson look to him, to his build and to the way that he kind of, uh, he kind of acts, um, hopefully just on the field. Um, <laughs> can you cut that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, another thing, another thing is the receivers, right? Uh, Polk and Rome, they are awesome. So Michael Penix definitely had weapons to work with. One of my first impressions. What were yours? Yeah, he looks like a prototype, like X wide receiver. Like just like like you said, just big. He's he's really long, and uh, you know, just long arms. Just you look at him, you're like, oh, that that looks. And that doesn't mean that I'm saying he should be a receiver. I'm not. I'm not going into the whole like. Uh, there's been a lot of that on Twitter with uh, Jalen Milrow. Maybe Bill O'Brien wasn't exactly wrong there. No, I'm not saying to move Michael Penix to wide receiver. I'm just saying he looks physically like like a wide receiver, like a really athletic build. Um, again, sort of long levers and bigger than you expect, right? Um, so on the field too, I mean, we all saw it this past weekend in the first round of the, the college football playoff, fantastic deep ball. Uh, it is, it is, it is incredible to be honest. Um, he is athletic. He's as athletic as he looks. He can run with the ball and, and create, uh, plays with his legs. Um, strong arm when he displays good mechanics, we're going to get into that a bit more too. And really good throwing velocity. He's like a fastball thrower. Um, so that, that's something I know. he just throws hard and he's a gamer, man. We're going to get into some of his history in college, the things he's had to overcome as well. And when you just watch him, he's just a gamer. So, uh, th those are my first impressions, at least on the positive side too. So, um, a lot to like on the hoof with Michael Penix. Absolutely. And I mean, we have to just kind of point out he's a lefty, right? So if you don't know that he is a lefty yep. quarterback, and I think that's kind of leads me to the throwing motion part of this where um, lefties kind of look weird when they throw the football. And uh, I saw, I think it was Sam Monson actually posted like a reverse where you can see his throwing motion flipped. And I kind of still don't think it's incredible. He has <laughs> a, a, he has a bit of a javelin type throw where it looks as if he's pushing the football out of his hand. It's not smooth. It's not like this perfect, like we talked about Jaden Daniels. Like if you were to take like just a Madden franchise, like or create a player and it's like the standard, it would be Jaden Daniels. Michael Penix is not that he does have like a javelin type throw pushes the ball out. Um, one thing I did like is with his throwing motion, his legs are typically under him when he makes his good throws. You can tell it's because his frame is under him and it really does help his, uh, his release. So just throwing motion wise, those are the notes that I had. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know if this is a real word, but I wrote it down. It's, it's just janky. Like his throwing motion and his release is just janky. And it's not just because he's a lefty. A lot of people have made the comparison to Philip rivers and it's, it's pretty apt. I, I mean, I, I hate just kind of going along with the herd, but it's it's like a Philip Rivers type of, of motion. And it's a little weird. And honestly, it is something you have to consider in the league when everything is that much quicker. Um, it's yeah, it's it's something to to note because as the pocket collapses and there's less room to operate within the pocket, when you have kind of like a weird motion, and if it does take a little longer, um, that can potentially cause some problems and it's not that it causes problems all the time it's just that those problems can creep up and those are the type of issues where one strip sack that otherwise would not have been can change a game uh, that's one thing the second thing too is i don't think it's necessarily something that can be coached out of him because i think part of it is just just since he's so naturally just kind of has these really long arms you can only compact that 
motion so much. At the end of the day, the levers are just long. And so the motion is what it is. And you don't always want to go ahead and mess with a, a quarterback's motion too much anyway. So this is one of those things you just have to to work with and work around. Um, because it's just kind of just a natural byproduct of his build. Yeah. And I mean the the extreme example of that is Trevor Lawrence with his long frame. I don't think he did this, right? Like I thought he was a smoother thrower. His his windup is a bit longer than Penix's is. Obviously, six six, it's going to be long, um, but but he didn't javelin it, right? And I think that's a big difference. Um, but arm strength wise, you touched on it before, so I want you to talk about it. Why do you like his arm so much? Yeah, it is. He he stays within his fundamentals and keeps his leg on legs under him whenever he has to throw the ball deep. What's funny about his arm strength is. His passes get more accurate the further you go down the field, um, which is a little odd. And it's not just because he only throws with one speed, which is, might be what you expect from a quarterback who maybe um, is more consistent down the field than they are in the short game. No, he actually has really good touch on his deep ball when he needs to use it. So he's actually a very good multifaceted thrower. He can throw with really good zip in the short game or with really good touch uh, deep. So there's a lot of strength in that arm, despite that throwing motion uh, that, you know, might make some, some scouts wince the, the, the arm talent when it comes to just throwing the deep ball is fantastic. The ball placement, he throws it over the outside shoulder and he zips it in uh, over the middle in tight coverage when he needs to as well. Just really from every facet of uh, be it zip, strength, and touch, he checks every single box specifically down the field as a as a deep ball thrower. And that's something that you just don't get from many quarterbacks, even quote unquote franchise quarterbacks just do not throw downfield as well as Michael Penix does. Yeah, absolutely. There was one play against Stanford where he was under pressure in his own end zone, stays composed and just delivers a dart to an open receiver, but a dart 50 yards downfield. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you're you're getting at. I think a lot of quarterbacks from their own end zone are looking to just get the ball out of their hand to a close receiver for some yak, right? Like you want to get them in space so that they can take off. He didn't. He hit a 50-yard bomb, and then the receiver did the rest and got the touchdown. But just like that's what we're talking about. He has that level of arm strength that he can throw from his own end zone under pressure 50 yards in the air is pretty impressive. And I agree with you on top. I'd say he's slightly above average. I don't know if it's magnificent, but it's definitely above average in the NFL. He throws a lot of deep floaters that are really nice and just, again, like fall in the hands of his receivers in a, in a really nice way. Um, and he has that extra oomph that you're talking about. When he needs to just put a zip on it, he does. I'd say it's, it's above average. Accuracy-wise, I think there are a lot like i think you might be overrating it a little bit because i think he trusts his receivers yeah, you said my Penix is overrated you heard that no 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 <laughs> his accuracy his accuracy i think because of how talented his receivers are he trusts them so much right so i saw a lot of deep balls where there are multiple defenders in the area and he puts it in a good position it's not perfect but he puts it in a good position and his receivers just make the right like those two guys are special he knows that and he took advantage of it multiple times i think in the nfl if he's in a less than ideal situation he's not going to be able to do that right a defender will absolutely make a play on a lot of those balls i like that he gives his receivers a chance though right like i like that he trusts them i think there's a lot of nfl quarterbacks that get really guns guy and won't take those chances so i think that Penix will it's definitely a positive for me um another thing i think he throws a tremendous back shoulder ball 
Um, one of one thing I saw over and over and over again that he did very, very well, right? You talk about Joe Flacco, right? Like, isn't that part of how he made his name is on back shoulder penalties? I think Penix could get a lot of that as well in the league. So not that that's something you want to ride your horse on, but it's, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I agree for the most part, especially with the, with the trusting receivers and, and situational sort of, uh, impact that his landing spot will have. Uh, and I think that goes into a little bit of some of the issues that I see in the short game or the quick game with Penix in that everything I said, as far as how he sets up his, his deep ball and why it's so successful because he gets his legs under him and really lets it rip. I don't see that as consistently in the quick game. And I think a part of it is he really, when it's quick, he needs to see it before he releases it. Right. On deep passes, you could see your receiver uh, being even with the corner or gaining some leverage or maybe starting to stack the DB, and then you can go ahead and let the ball rip, right? You can take time to see where the safety is and then make your decision to throw the deep ball, and then you set yourself up and let it rip. Uh, in the quick game, right, quick slants, quick you know, quick outs, if you're uh, doing some quick high-low concepts, whatever the case may be, you don't necessarily have that much time to decipher what the defense is doing and where you need to go with the football. And I think because he doesn't quite anticipate uh, that well, that a lot of times he'll make the decision, realize he doesn't have much time to get the ball off and won't bring his legs or his feet under him when he throws the ball and his footwork will be inconsistent uh, in the quick game. And that leads to some trouble or he will take that extra hitch that he really shouldn't in the short game. And in college, he gets away with it some and still kind of fits it into some windows in the NFL, that's not going to happen. So I think he needs to be better uh, anticipating as a quarterback in the quick game. His anticipation is fine for deep passes for all those reasons I mentioned. But when it comes to, uh, you know, sort of one, two, three hitch, get the ball out of there, that timing is really not always there. I see a lot of outs. I see a lot of comebacks where he is a step too late in getting the ball off where even if it's completed in college for a first down, he took that extra step, that extra hitch, and it negated some yak opportunities for his receivers to do something after the catch, even though it was completed and first down and you think, okay, that's a good play by the quarterback. It's there's more meat on that bone um, as a result of sort of the lack of anticipation that he shows at times. It's really interesting you say that, Ray, because one of the notes I had for field awareness and progression is that it doesn't seem like he actually does a progression a lot of times. He might look like he is, but a lot of times it looks like he's using his eyes strategically just to lure a safety. And it's not that he's actually considering that first take. It's more just to move a body so that he can hit his actual target. I saw him do that a lot. And it kind of matches a number that I saw, right? And I don't want to go into the numbers too much. But his time to throw is insane. So this year it was 2.71 seconds time to throw. But that's like at the high end of his career, right? This is a quarterback that played for six years in college, right? And that was like a high mark, which means that he had 2.5 second years. So I think it's a little bit of a concern of mine, kind of to your point, where it's maybe when he's actually doing a progression, he, he ends up a step late or a, you know a second behind. But when he's actually doing it, is he actually doing it? Or is it just so automatic that he knows exactly where he's going and he's getting the ball out of his hands really fast at times, right? Like, I don't really know what the answer is there. I, I, I noticed sometimes in particular against Oregon where the defense had a good play called 
and and they basically got him right. He was he was looking to one side of the field based off of of pre snap and post snap. There was some disguise or some rolling of the defense, and he did not look off of it and go elsewhere. He he stuck with his first read and and a couple times. I think it fell incomplete. I have two two plays in particular in mind. I think and out towards the left sideline, if I recall, um, where you you watch the play develop and you go, oh, it's not there. And he threw it anyway. And you could tell that was where he was going with the football before the snap because that's what his his pre-snap read dictated based on the play that was called. But post-snap, he didn't see uh, the, the change in the defense and then moved his next regression. He stuck with it. And so that that is something that that is a concern for for absolute sure. Yeah, and I wonder if it's the receivers are so good that he was just so used to being able to get away with that, right? And it's like at the NFL level, that does not happen. You have to be able to go through your reads. So definitely interested to see how that ends up translating in the league. Um, But people were talking about this game against Texas as kind of his C.J. Stroud versus Georgia game, right, where people were saying, you know, we're not sure how he's going to face the blitz. You know, he hasn't really shown that he can do it. And then he steps into this big situation and he just blows it out of the water, right, where he does incredibly well with his feet, moving around in the pocket, stepping up and making throws. He did that really well against Texas. Um, But I guess from your, you know, from your standpoint, do you think that's something that he does consistently? No, it's not something he does consistently. And that's and that's what was so crazy about it is when you watch games other than Texas, right? Your notes should say he does not really move and buy time well and navigate within the pocket, right? He he just he just doesn't. He's he's there, he's going through his reading. Like you mentioned, he's not going through a full progression. That ball is getting out pretty quick. And or or it's predetermined and he's waiting for something to come open. So he is staying within the pocket for that. If he if he is moving and extending the play, he's not extending the play from within the pocket. He is rolling out and making something happen that way. But purely within the pocket, navigating the pocket and just buying more time that way. That's not a part of his game that we really saw pretty much until Texas, uh, at least on any consistent basis. So it's one of those where. Okay, is that something where he is capable of it and hasn't had to show it and then did have to show it and did it? Kind of like CJ Stroud against Georgia where everyone said, where, where's the the creativity with this guy? Where is the the play extension? Where is he, you know, adding to the offense and then all of a sudden against Georgia he just went ballistic and everyone said, "Oh, okay, there it is." Is this that kind of situation? Or is this just a one-off because sometimes guys just play up and have those those games where it's not them, right? They just play above their usual baseline level. Um, I'm not sure. We get another opportunity to see it on Monday night against Michigan. I really hope that, that he can do it again. Um, but I am not comfortable uh, saying that he is a quarterback who can uh, adeptly deftly, whatever the word is, navigate the pocket consistently because he did not show it on tape. He's mobile, he's athletic, but that's different from pocket navigation, pocket manipulation as a quarterback. Talk about his mobility. It's really good. Um, that when they run some some zone read stuff and uh, there's they, they kind of open up uh, you know the inside, especially for him, he can get yards in a hurry. He's a strider, right? We mentioned six three and kind of like those long limbs. He's he just covers a lot of ground with his strides. So he is a threat with his legs on some designed runs. Um, if he does roll out of the pocket, he has the athleticism to pick up yards with his feet. Um I wouldn't call it quite Jaden Daniels, uh, maybe straight line speed. They're comparable, 
but Daniels just has a bit more of uh, of shake and bake to his game and, and, and a little bit more uh, agility with his mobility than I see from Penix. But Penix is certainly dangerous with his legs on the ground. You can call some uh, some zone reads and, and things of that nature, and he can pick up yards with his with his legs. I'm not sure how often you want to do that because as we're going to talk about too, he's got an extensive injury history. So you don't want to really open him up to too much contact and too many hits, but the mobility is there where he can, he can hurt you on the ground and it is something you have to account for if they're going to lean on that during the game. Hmm. All right. Talk about the injury stuff. I want to hear about it. Right. I know he has like two knees, right? Everybody has two knees, Chris. Um, but uh, Michael Penix in particular does have two knee injuries, right? So this is a sixth-year player in college. You mentioned it earlier. So he tore his right ACL in 2018, his first year in college. Then in 2019, he had a season-ending shoulder injury. Then in 2020, he tore his right ACL again. So he has two uh, ACL tears in his right knee. And then in 2021, he also had a season-ending shoulder injury. So he spent six years in college and he's had four season ending injuries to start his college career. That is extensive and that is scary. And he's essentially one knee injury away from being Jason White status from Oklahoma, where if you remember, he was a quarterback in the early aughts for Oklahoma and won the Heisman Trophy. And Oklahoma, towards the end of his career, had to literally exclusively run plays from the shotgun, not because they were like just completely ahead of everybody else. I know shotgun is like the default for the most part in college now, but because he literally could not uh, bend his knees and go under center and be comfortable doing that as a quarterback. So two ACLs, two ACL tears in his right knee is, is really not, it's scary. And again, then two season-ending shoulder injuries as well. That's an extensive injury history here. Um, it helps explain why he's been in college for six years, but it's not the explanation you want. Yeah, there are not many careers that you will see that are similar to this, the way that, you know, you look at his stats over a six-year period. It's kind of wild, right? And like some of it's like COVID too. Like he played during COVID, so it's shortened seasons. Um, and like you think of a four-year starter, and traditionally you'd see – four years and four years starting, but he's a four-year starters with two years sitting, right? So six years, again, six years, um, and then two shortened years because of injuries, because of COVID. So it's, it's just really strange. He's going to be 24 years old as a rookie, which is the high end, right? It's the high end of the extreme. It's not quite um, the Browns quarterback that they took, you know, 10 years ago or however long. Who was that guy? Weedon, was like Brandon, we- Brandon Weedon. Brandon Weedon. Yeah. Was he 26? Yeah, he was, yeah. I think he had a, two kids and a mortgage. So, yeah. yeah. So it's not quite that, but it is significant, right? And then the injuries are scary, um, but the stats are insane, right? Back-to-back 4,600-yard seasons, 30-plus touchdowns in both of them. He's fifth highest in passing grade this year with a 91.3. He has 40 big-time throws this year, which is the most in college football. Nine turnover-worthy plays, which is pretty good. It's a very good uh, ratio. Um, and big-time throws were always a part of his game. He always had a high big-time throw rate. His 10.9 A dot was very consistent throughout his college career and is also extremely good. But another reason it's extremely good to be over 10 is, again, that time to throw at 2.71 seconds, right? He's getting the ball out of his hands quick, but he has the receivers to get downfield and get open in that time significantly far downfield, right? That's pretty That's pretty special. Um the person, right? 
you hear about kind of like the leadership that he has had in that team and that organization. He's led this Washington team to an undefeated season this year. They're getting a shot at the national championship. And there was rumors that he thought about quitting before, you know, a couple of years ago that he was with all the injuries, he was just kind of done. Right. He was like, I think I might just be done. And, you know, I think we're all grateful he didn't because we got to see this spectacular season. Um, but it does make you, you know, kind of wonder, right. You know, the, the, the injuries, the, the, the age, is it all too much to kind of get over? You know, when you look at quarterbacks throughout history who have had injuries in college, significant injuries in college that hampered their college career, a lot of times they have very short NFL careers. Uh, Sam Bradford is a great example of that. I actually have a list somewhere where I have every single one of them listed out because it is, it's scary, right? And there are obviously exemptions to the rule, but a lot of times they are very short careers. So you know, how concerned are you about that? How concerned are you about the age? And at the end of the day, I really want to know what, what do you think about him versus Daniels? Yeah, it's, I am concerned um, about the injuries more so than the age because the injuries explain the age. Um, so it, it, it's, you know, the answer to the question, well, why are you in college for six years, right? It's not like Bo Nix who will probably get to some other point where it's like, well, I, because it took me five years to become good. Like it, it's not that it's just the injuries, which is the scary part. Uh, I think there's going to be a bit of a dilemma with Michael Penix because he is the type of guy, the type of leader that coaches are going to fall in love with and scouts are going to say, well, hold up. This guy has an extensive injury history. There are still some, you know, some some down to down concerns as well. And when you have that as a sixty or twenty three year old player in college, are we comfortable thinking that that is something that's going to be resolved in the NFL? And if so, you know, because if so, why was it not uh, resolved in college? Why has that not become better during all his time? Uh, you know, playing college football. So it's going to be one of those sort of uh, push and pull uh, type of situations because I, I really do think coaches are going to fall in love with him because when you hear him speak, that guy is a quarterback. He's a leader. Uh, you even see it just as a fan in these post-game interviews uh, from like this past weekend, compare that to some of the other post-game interviews and you will just see the difference. I'm not going to say anybody else by name, um, but Penix is the kind of guy that people will gravitate towards teammates and coaches will fall in love with. But then when you kind of dig in, it's, it's scary. It's a very, you know, it's, it's a beautiful sports car on the outside. Great paint job, nice rims, looks fantastic. You pop the hood and there's some scary stuff down there and it's, it's not all his fault, but, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, when you put all that together, it is a very risky proposition. And I think when you talk about their game strictly on the field, just taking away the medical history and concerns for Penix, they have a lot of the same issues. They meaning Jaden Daniels and, and Michael Penix when it comes to, okay, I want to see a bit more consistency with some footwork and some better anticipation, uh, at least in the short and intermediate game, because Penix anticipation, again, deep, you know, deep passing is just fantastic. He can anticipate downfield amazingly well. Um, but when you have two players with sort of similar styles and similar issues and concerns, you're going to lean towards the one who's younger and does not have two torn right ACLs and two shoulder surgeries in their history as a quarterback. It's just, it's just one of those deals where that's, it just is what it is. It's just the reality of the situation. So um, coaches are going to love them. Scouts are going to have a bit more concerns than the coaches do. 
Wow. I think I'm on the other side of the fence saying like, uh, you know how I am. I, I want my quarterback to be the, like, I'm always going to go for the guy that's better in the pocket first. Right. And I talked about how Jaden Daniels deep ball to me was concerning. And in today's NFL, you need to be able to throw the ball down the field, right? You have to be able to do that. I think it's going to be a real concern for him. Penix, the leadership, what he's been able to do with that team. It's, it's outstanding. Right. And, and yes, the injury stuff, it's a huge concern. Uh, but today's, you know, medical world, Aaron Rodgers is about to play football after like six games, right? Like he's he's walking, throwing the ball after six games after he uh, tore his Achilles. So it, it really has come a long way. I don't know how significant it's still going to be for him, especially the last two years. He's proven that he can he can still do it right and do it at a high level. Um, just for me personally, I think they're very close, right? I think you you have to choose what your weapon is. Is it the deep ball or do you want like the the A-plus running ability that Daniels has? I think those are kind of the differentiators. So I could totally see anybody choosing one over the other and I wouldn't have a concern with it. It really just depends on which style you're more comfortable with. And for me, it's it's the guy that can throw the deep ball. I, I was not going to take you for someone who's just like, yeah, just F it. We ball, just go deep. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I've been talking about Jameis for the past like three weeks. That's, I thought that was more of like a quarter life crisis type deal, you know, where you just, you feel like you need some, some thrills going on, but um, okay. And, and that, and that is fair because again, Penix deep passing. Great. Daniels needs work. We talked about it. So it's, it's your flavor of ice cream and, and what you want there. Um, and then I guess, like I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the other side and, and that's not me just poo-pooing Penix. I could totally see a situation where he is successful, um, and reaches the sort of the upper tier of his, uh, potential outcomes as a player. Um, there's just some things out of his control that may prevent that from happening, which, which you never, ever want to see. Um, you always want to see that type of stuff settled on the field and, you know, sort of empty the gas tank. And if, and if you reach that, that pinnacle, then great. If not, you know, you gave it a fair shot. I just hope he gets that fair shot and injuries are not something that we're talking about with Penix, you know, three years from now, uh, because he has stayed relatively healthy the last couple of years, right after those just four consecutive injuries to start his college career. So, um, would love to see it play out that way, but yeah, like you mentioned, I think it's more so stylistically, what's, what's your flavor of ice cream, like those old school Raiders teams that went deep down the field and were built on the vertical passing game by all means, that is, that is Michael Penix, uh, for sure. So again, just, just depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to kind of start to figure out how this is all going to play out, right? When I start to really rank these guys, like I said, I think I have Penix slightly above Daniels, but it's so close. And then when you look at the big picture, right? And you're saying, how do they compare to the guys last year? How do they compare to the guys for the last three, four years? What does that picture start to look like? And it is a very fun exercise, which I will get to once we're done reviewing these guys. But thank you everyone for tuning in. Enjoy this weekend. Enjoy watching a bunch of backups play football. Um, <laughs> but thank you for tuning into this podcast and Please give us a five-star review wherever you watch or listen. And then uh, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and what did I miss? I missed one of them. Instagram. In Instagram at uh, all22 <laughs> underscore PFF. And thank you so much for tuning in.